Thank you for listening to the Calvary Church Podcast. If this ministry has been a blessing to you, would you let us know? Send an email to ToledoCalvary.org. We would love to hear what God is doing in your life today. Well, I am so glad that you are here today, and thanks for taking your Bibles. Turn with me to 1 John chapter 5, and also want to say thanks for praying. You know, two weeks ago on, uh, on that Sunday, we talked about what to do at a crossroads and talked about how important it is for us as a church to come together and pray together. So for the last two weeks, we've invited you to pray. If you've been watching either in our emails or social media, you've seen we've each, each day, kind of weekday, we've been putting out some themes of, to pray about. The first week we prayed come about our own spiritual lives at a crossroads. This, this week we're, we're in the process of praying for the church this week coming up then. We're gonna be praying for our world and how we can make a difference in it and what God would call us to do. Been inviting you to fast and to pray with us, to set aside some time every day to pray specifically about these things and for the church as we're at a crossroads season as we talked about in that message and also that you would fast. that Once a week, you'd find some way, whether it's setting aside um, something digital, whether it's setting aside food for a day or for a meal, somehow that you're spending some time specifically saying, God, in this moment, I'm asking you to speak to me and I'm speaking to you about these things that really matter. Can I tell you that since we started this on, I think it was March 7th was that Sunday. Since we started this, I have literally noticed a difference in my own life. I have noticed a difference in the life of our team, in leadership meetings, in different things that we've done. It's as if we already feel and sense that God is giving some clarity and direction and guiding in this process. Feel your prayers in this. And I don't say that to be like spiritually manipulative or to be like, hey, look at us kind of thing. But I'm just telling you, it works. And I really do believe that God is working through this season. And if you didn't jump in early on to this four-week season, like if this is the first you're hearing about it, you're like, oh, I kind of didn't really get involved the last two weeks you know, of this time, too bad. No, 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 jump in. <laughs> like, Be a part of this. Be a part of what God is doing in this season. I think he's setting us up individually and corporately for some unique things in the life of his church. And we are also praying as we are coming towards, kind of for us as a church, one of the biggest weekends of the year as we look at Easter weekend. Next Sunday will be Palm Sunday. And uh, I'm gonna do something we haven't done in uh, several years. Our, our message our celebration together as a church this next weekend is gonna be specifically about Palm Sunday. Uh, I've been really excited about this for a while, so I hope you'll join us for that. And then on that Friday before Easter, Good Friday, we'll have our regular Good Friday service both in person and online at noon that day. We'll invite you to register for that because we know that one will probably fill up kind of quick. And then we will have six Easter services, three on Saturday at 3, 5, and 7, and then our regular service times on Sunday at 8, 15, 10, and 11, 45. Hope you'll join us for those really gonna be special services. We'll share some more with you about that in the days ahead. Today we're wrapping up a series of messages we have called The Power of Love, and we have been taking kind of a quick trip through the letter that John wrote. We're not exactly sure where he wrote it to specifically. He doesn't say, we believe it was to the city of Ephesus, the church that was there, in the region around it, what is kind of modern-day Turkey. We would call it Asia Minor in a biblical sense. We've worked our way through this book. We've seen some priorities that he makes, how important it is to him that people recognize that Jesus wasn't just some historical figure. He wasn't just some mystical person, that he was real, that he mattered, that his life made a difference. And over and over and over again, 
that John tells his disciples, love one another. After one of the services last week, a friend of mine caught me in the atrium after service and said, hey, when are you going to be done telling us to love one another? Because the longer you say it, the more I'm getting opportunities too, she said. So stop it, I'm tired of it, right? This is an interesting message and John says it over and over and over and over again. We'll kind of hear it again here today, but we're gonna look at the very last verse in this letter, 1 John chapter 5, verse 21. It's six words, this is how he sums it up. Dear children, keep yourselves from idols. Now look, this, this is totally unexpected. It's almost a bit of a, it's almost a bit of a juke, if you will. It's like he's been going in this direction. He's been talking about light and then he's been talking about love and he's been talking about all these things. And then like all of a sudden out of nowhere, he says, oh yeah, and keep yourself from idols. Like it's almost surprising. And sometimes commentators go like, why did he do that? Why did he say that? It seems to be out of nowhere. Actually, I think if you think about it and if you look at the context of the whole book and if you look at what John's trying to say, those six words make total sense. First of all, we've watched how over and over again he refers to the people that he's writing to as dear children. He loves them. He sees himself as their pastor, as their shepherd. In fact, just about every time that he uses those two words, it's because he's transitioning into a thought that he's saying, look, don't miss this. It's like he's getting their attention. When you're talking to somebody, do you ever have to try to get their attention? And you, you can say, hey, you, you can say all these different things, but if you'll just say their name, it makes a difference. Like I remember being in the grocery store when I was a kid and going, mom, 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 she's too busy for me, mom, mom. So finally I just go, Vera, like that. She'd turn around, right? This is John getting their attention. And he says, dear children, keep yourselves from idols. And when he said the word idols, it would click for them because they lived in a land filled with idolatry. Go to Acts chapter 19 sometime and read the story of idol worship in Ephesus. It was such a big deal that when the church challenged it there, it, it caused a riot. They lived in a world that was filled with idols. And John's writing to the church that he loves and especially to those who are new in their faith and saying to them, you constantly need to have your guard up against idolatry in your life. But he's not just talking about little statues He's not just talking about temples that you would go to to worship a false god. He's talking about so much more. Because really, this whole book, if you read it in the light of the first century, if you read it in the light of a pastor who was concerned about a church, who was giving in to the immorality of their culture, and who was letting the conflict of the day fracture their unity, if you see it through those eyes, this whole book, has been about John saying, don't be distracted by things that don't matter. Focus on the things that really make a difference. So from his heart as a father, a pastor, a shepherd, the last words he says to them, in a, in a way that ends so much different than every other letter in the, in the New Testament, he just says, dear children, keep yourselves from idols. So we gotta ask, what's an idol? Why, why is this such a big deal to him? An idol is anything that competes with or is a substitute for God in your life. So an idol, if you wanna just kind of sum it up, it, it's not just Baal in the Old Testament, if you're familiar with the stories in the Bible. And it's not just, um, it's just not the, the little gold statue in Indiana Jones. Do you know what I'm talking about? 
What's what we think about when we think about an idol? If you don't move it just right, the boulder will come and roll you over. Can I get an amen? Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Like, that's not, that's not what he's talking about. An idol is anything that competes with or is a substitute for God in your life. And John says, look, keep yourself from idols. Really simple what he says. But what's packed in that word keep yourself is he says, look, you need to guard yourself. Like your guard needs to be up against these things. And it's not just something you do passively. It's something, if you, if you read kind of the Greek there, it's something that you do actively. It's not something that you take a, 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 a very passive approach to. It takes personal effort. So here's what I'm gonna ask you to do. There's a lot wrapped up in those six little words. Dear children, keep yourselves from idols. When he says keep yourselves, he says be willing to put the work in. So whether you're here in this room or you're watching this online or you're seeing it on TV or you're listening to the podcast, can I invite you for the next few moments, let's put some work in. I wanna talk about what does it mean to really keep yourself from an idol? And it's gonna be easy for me to kind of just throw out some different categories. The hard work is for you and I to open up ourselves to the Holy Spirit and say, Holy Spirit, what does this speak into my life? Like, what's the work you're trying to work in my life? What's, what's the answer to idols? Like, how do, you, how do you keep yourself? How do you deal with it? I just wanna propose something, that the answer to idols in your life is to make God bigger. Because if you've made an idol, if you've made anything bigger than God, then the answer to that is that thing needs to be smaller and you need to make God bigger than that thing. So I wanna talk a little bit looking at what was going on at the church that John was writing to, and then thinking about what might be going on in our own lives and consider what would it mean to make God bigger in our lives? For one, and we'll just kind of look at this in four different areas real quick. First, number one, I think we should make God bigger than your fears. You need to make God bigger than your fears. One of the things that was happening in the church during that time is because culture was shifting and because there were false teachers in the church and because there were all this division, it was constantly causing them to be at a place where they were motivated by, I would say, uncertainty. They were motivated by what they didn't understand. They were motivated because they didn't know what was gonna happen next. They were motivated because they didn't know how to respond to other people because they didn't know where other people were at on certain issues. They had people who were walking away from the church. They had people who were walking away from the faith. They had people who were constantly kind of at each other and it stirred up all this fear. I'm glad we don't live in a time like that at all, amen? And so you've got all this happening. And I think fear does some things to us if we're not careful about it. Because fear can start to become an idol in our lives in these things. And what happens is fear will cause you to disconnect from God. If you let those fears come in, fear will cause you to disconnect from God. And so what happened was they, they started to take their eyes off of God and put it on the circumstances that were around them. And in that those circumstances became bigger and God became smaller. And frustration will do that to you. I've always wondered, like, if you've read the Old Testament, it's very clear. God's very clear with people. Like, he, he, this word is actually coming to them. There's times when they, they literally hear the voice of God. One of the first of the Ten Commandments is you should not have an idol. And yet, what do the people in the Old Testament seem to always do? <laughs> They seem to always make idols. 
And I've, I've always kind of scratched my head at that. I'm just wondering, why is that? Why, why did they do that? Like, what is that? And usually it's motivated by fear. If, if you think about, if you were living in the Old Testament in Israel in that time, let's say, for instance, you, you, you were a farmer of some kind, and you relied on rain in a desert land to be able to have the crops and the sustenance that you would need, then you would do anything you needed to get that rain. And what God had asked his people to do was to depend on him, that he would provide for them. But their neighbors, who did not serve the same God, they had other idols as well. And they would look to a certain idol because they believed that that idol, that that false God would bring rain. And so the, the problem with the Israelites was not that they just turned their back on God, but usually the problem was that they just kind of opened up their arms and said, well, we'll hold on to our God over here, but we're gonna, we're gonna buy some insurance and, and hang on to your God over here as well. And often idolatry in the Old Testament was an insurance policy, right? It was them saying, we're, we're gonna cover all of our bases. And instead of just trusting in this one, we'll trust in that one. Now, I did not just tell you to cancel your insurance, okay? Did you hear that? <laughs> I did not tell you to do that. What I told you was, you've got to be careful that there's nothing in your life that you rely on more than you rely on God. And when you do, fear comes in, and that fear causes these frustrations, and instead we need to live in him in those places. Because fear will cause you then to not abide in him and not live in him and not rely on him. We'll push him aside and look to other things, and then that fear begins to fill your heart. Here's what fear also does, and, and this is what John was really talking about. When you get to that point then, Fear will cause you to disregard other people. Not only do you disconnect from God, but this was the big issue in the church John's writing to. Fear then will cause you to disregard other people. Why, why do you think John said to them over and over again, you gotta love one another? Because the fear had them in such a place of protecting themselves that they stopped caring about those around them. And this is something that we see so many other times that when I have an idol, when I make something else more than God in my life, what happens is I usually start to disregard other people around me. I stop loving them. What happens usually if there's an emergency? If there's a whole bunch of people and something goes wrong, you get in a crowded room and shout fire, what are people gonna do? <laughs> They're gonna storm out the doors and most people will not care about the others around them. They'll stampede to get to safety. Because chaos and fear kind of breeds selfishness in us. And this is what was happening in that church. And this is why John had to say to them over and over and over again, you need to love one another. Look, whatever you worship will require some kind of sacrifice. Whatever you worship, you're gonna give some kind of offering to. And if what you worship is an idol, then that sacrifice you usually bring shows up as, as selfishness. The way you worship an idol is often through selfishness and through focusing on ourselves. So this is big in our relationships. Like if there are places in, in your workplace or in your family or in your marriage or in your relationship with other believers where you can pinpoint and see increasing selfishness in your life. Maybe you need to ask, have I, maybe even out of a spirit of fear, lifted something up to a place above God that is causing this to happen? It takes us back to the scripture we looked at last week, 1 John chapter 4, verse 18. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear 
Because fear has to do with punishment, and the one who fears is not made perfect in love. I love that line, that perfect love drives out fear. So if, if those things, if that fear, that selfishness, if you're seeing that, that, that may mean that there's an idol somewhere in your life, something that you've made bigger than God. Here's the second thing maybe good for us to consider, that you make God bigger than your substitutes. That you make God bigger than your substitutes. We, we live in a day and time, just go to the grocery store, where you got all kinds of options. If you, if you wanna go and buy anything, you usually have more than just one thing to pick from. You have a lot of things to pick from. But can I tell you that some things just never measure up to the original, to the real. There's some substitutes that you just shouldn't fool with. Like, I'll just be honest, and, and I feel free here, like we're friends and family, and I can share some of my pet peeves. Is that okay? Sometimes you walk through the grocery store, and you know God loves you, because Oreos are on the end cap and they're on sale. Can I get an amen? Here's one of my pet peeves. Why do we mess with Oreos? Like we have the original, why do we have to change the flavors? Like it seems like every season they come up with you got, here's peanut butter and jelly and here's peppermint and here's Caesar salad. Like they have all these different like flavors of Oreos. It's like, stop it. Don't mess with the real thing. We don't need a substitute. And then somebody said, oh, let's make low fat ones. Those are just trying to kill you that don't taste good. Don't do that. Just go to the real thing. Like there are some things that we just don't need a substitute for. Now you gotta understand, there was, there was something going on in the church that was causing them in the first century, the church that John's writing to, question who Jesus was. And they were saying, look, Jesus was somebody special, but he wasn't really God. Like there, was a, there was an arm in the church, and then you see this heresy grow on into the, first, the rest of the first and the second century. But they were saying, well, he wasn't really God. Well, if you start saying that he was just a good man, but he wasn't really God, that he was maybe a human that God inhabited for a season, but he wasn't really fully God, then you take away his power to actually save. Do you not? Like you take away the power of who he was. And so John has to push back on that in this gospel, in this letter as you read it. And he's saying, look, he was fully God. I know who he really was. So there is no substitute for him. So the question that we have to ask is, is there anything that we've made a substitute for him? That we've made an idol? It won't measure up. But you have, how do you know if there's a substitute? You have to ask, what do you love? Like, are there things that you love more than Jesus? Are there things that you love more than God? And I can tell you, we look for filling all these needs in our lives. We, we try to do this through the things that we love. Love has incredible power. There's a power of love. But I can tell you that it don't take money and it don't take fame. It don't take no credit card to ride this train, right? When we think about this, we gotta realize where does love really come from? Here, look, anything you love more than Jesus is an idol. And that's key. If you love something more than you love Jesus, it's an idol. Like, think about this for a minute. If, if we talk about what usually makes famous people stumble or fall, we usually talk about money, sex, and power, don't we? Aren't those usually the things? If you're gonna watch the headlines, when people usually have their downfalls, it's one of those three things often in some way or another. It's money, sex, or power. Usually it's a combination of all three, isn't it? And what are all three of those things? They're all things we reach out for 
to try to find a substitute for what really matters in life. We try to meet needs in our lives through money or through sex or through power. We try to let those things be the things that fill us when actually they're just dangerous substitutes. So the question is, is there anything you love more than you love Jesus? Because that's an idol. I think you can even make it a little bit more personal and ask the question, is there anyone you love more than you love Jesus? Because anyone you love more than Jesus is an idol. And you might go, well, that, that gets a little fuzzy because man, I really love my spouse. Or man, Chad, you don't know how much I love my kids or my grandkids. Like I'd do anything for them. And recognize that healthy love that you have for another person is actually a love that's been given to you by God. You've been hardwired with that. So if it is a healthy love that you have for another person, then as you love Jesus more, he will help you to love that person in the same way that he does. Does that make sense? Right, so these are important things. Look, here's, here's what John says, because he worries about this for the church. Remember, he loves this church. And he says, dear children, Keep yourselves from idols because idols are just like Caesar salad Oreos. They're not good. They're gonna let you down. First John chapter two, verse 15, here's what he says. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away but whoever does the will of God lives forever. Here's what John's saying. You see all these things that the world has to offer? They're just gonna pass away. They're not gonna last. But I wanna show you something that will last, he says. This is why he's saying, do not let idols take a place in your life because they're just a sorry substitute. Here's what he knows. He knows that when they walk out into the world, there's all kinds of scams for them to fall for. There's all kinds of things that are gonna promise stuff. I'm gonna ask you to, Pray with me. Um, I'm, I'm considering an early retirement after an email I got today. Can I read it to you? It said, hello, this will be supported by legal documentations. I am presenting you an opportunity to receive 11.5 million US dollars without doing anything illegal and we will both benefit. Reply for details if interested. Thanks, Michael. I don't know who Michael is, but he's gonna change my life. You ever get any of those? I, I've got a friend who's a Nigerian prince. I'm really excited. He's got stuff for me, right? These things, these emails that you have coming. I want to sweepstakes. Like there's all these things. And look, you get these scams all the time. The problem is they look so real, don't they? Like so many times they're foolish like Michael's. And yet these scammers are getting more and more kind of on to us. And what happens is, and I know people, I've got friends who've gone too far down some of these roads and it's cost them because they started to believe things that weren't true. For the record, I didn't email Michael back and neither should you, right? Michael is not your friend. In fact, Michael's probably not Michael. Michael doesn't have 11.5 million US dollars. He's just trying to get some of yours. And that's what an idol does. It looks really good. It offers a lot, but in the end it passes away because it's just a sorry substitute. So are there things like that in your life that you might need to step back and go, boy, I don't, I don't know. 
So, so let's, let's think about this. We've talked about how our fear can stir up idols. We talk about their substitutes that come in. Let me, let me go just a little bit deeper. Here's a third thing. We might need to make God bigger than your sin. It might be that as you look at idols in your life, that you have to make God bigger than your sin. See, there wasn't just one heresy in the church in the first century. There were some people who were saying that Jesus wasn't really God. But there were some other people who were saying that he, the, the, the whole part about him being fully man didn't really matter either. Because there was this idea that your body did not matter, that there was this separation between body and your spiritual side, and your spiritual side was what really mattered, and your body didn't at all, almost like you didn't regard the fact that God had created it or that it was important. And so if your body wasn't important, and if your spiritual was what was important, then you could focus on your spiritual and be right there and then just live however you wanted with your body. You could do whatever you wanted with your body. So whatever the culture offered, for your own pleasure with your body, you could do it, it wasn't sin, because you were okay spiritually, so you could just do whatever you wanted physically, and they took away from the fact that Jesus was fully God and fully man, and they said, well, he wasn't really fully man, because the body is, is this thing that doesn't really matter that much, and as a result, they said you can live however you want. Now, that's kind of an oversimplification of the heresy, but what it did was it led to a lot of acceptance of immorality by people in those seasons of time. And so part of what John is writing about when he says that Jesus is real, when he talks over and over again about the fact that if you love God, you'll follow his commands. If you love God, you won't sin. When he says those things, what he's saying is it may be that your sin has become an idol in your life and that your sins become something more important than what Jesus is. And so it's a challenge to repent. Repentance means that I say that what I was doing, I'm not gonna do. Actually, I'm gonna go in the opposite direction because I know that that's what would honor God. That's what would please him. That's what God would have for me to do. And maybe as we have this little conversation about idolatry here today, you need to take a look. We need to take a look, corporately and individually, and say, are there things in my life that I've made bigger than God that actually are sin? See, repentance leads you to reevaluate, to kind of take a new look at things and see if there's things that need to change, if there's a difference that should happen in my life. And if I can identify some idols and realize that I've made those bigger or more important than God, when I repent, it'll, it'll change some things in our lives. I've been reading about a season of time in the early 1900s, at the beginning of the 20th century, where there was a revival that took place. And we, we, we use that word revival a lot of times. Typically when we use it, we use it to talk about like a series of services that we go to so we can get all hyped up and feel good. That's oftentimes what we call revival. Historically what revival is, is that when the Holy Spirit does such a dynamic work that whole communities are changed for him. That's what revival is. And reading about these revivals, and there was a revival that took place in the nation of Wales that so changed communities that it actually changed the whole way that they did their work. Because in Wales, 
they, a big portion of the economy was in coal mining. They, they would mine all kinds of different things. In fact, um, I've gone back and looked at some of my own ancestry and uh, some of my relatives came from the nation of Wales. And when you see what their job was, they were a puddler. I was like, what's a puddler? It's something that works in, in part of the mining world. It's really, it's kind of fascinating. And one of the things that they would use, they didn't have all this heavy equipment back at the beginning of the 20th century, so they would use mules. And when revival hit Wales, uh, productivity in the mines went way down. And they were trying to figure out why. It's because with the revival, the mules stopped working. And they had to get new mules to trade out for the old mules because the workers had had a transformation in their lives. And so they stopped cussing and abusing the mules. And without being cussed at and abused, the mules wouldn't work. And so they had to get rid of the old mules and get new mules because their whole lives had changed. And now they had to get new machinery for the mines. This fascinating thing happens when we repent. It causes us to reevaluate and it can literally change the world around us in those places. Look, if you'll take a good look at the idols in your life, if you'll take a good look at things in your life that maybe have become bigger than God, this is why John says, hey, dear children, keep yourselves from idols. If you'll do that, there should be things that change to the point that even your family, your coworkers, your friends start to go, there's something different there. There's something that's going on inside of her. There's something that's changed about him. Because what happens, one of the things that's really, I, I think, insidious about idols in our lives is it causes us to be in a place where we don't see things clearly, right? If we will repent, repentance leads you to revival. It leads you to change. It leads you to something new. And if we will take a look at this, if we'll examine our own hearts, if we'll search uh, our, ourselves as a church and as a, as a community, as families, as individuals, if we'll let that change us, then I believe it could lead to revival in our lives and in our world. But here's the thing. If we don't deal with that, we won't be able to see clearly. Do you remember where we were the very first week in this series? First John chapter one, verse nine. John says to us, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. He says, if you'll confess your sins, he'll forgive your sins. If you'll repent of that thing that you've made bigger than God in your life, he will bring you forgiveness. And he says, he'll purify you from all unrighteousness, which means you go from not seeing things the right way to seeing things the right way. Can I tell you, I, I know this from personal experience, and if you're honest, you do too, that when I let something, an attitude, a, 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 a thought, an action, a sin, become the driving force in my life that becomes bigger than God, I stop seeing situations in the right way. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Like I stop seeing people the right way. But when I'll say, God, will you help me to see this your way? And even if it means I have to say to him, God, I repent and I ask your forgiveness because it wasn't just fear or a substitute. This, this idol was actually sin in my life. And if I'll do that, then I stop seeing things in a way that's not right and I can start seeing things in a way that is right and that actually can change everything. So, so if, if there's an idol that's there, you need to make it bigger than your fears and make it bigger than substitutes. Make it bigger than your sins. Here's a fourth one, just the last one. You've gotta make God bigger than you. If there's an idol somewhere, the challenge is this. 
You have to make God bigger than you. Because let's just be honest, where does an idol usually come from? Usually, in our lives, in our world, it's a God of our own making. Like it's something that we've crafted or created. We've made this thing bigger than God. And sometimes we'll even take God himself and we'll try to make him in a way that we want him to be. Look, do not make God in your own image. Do not make him to fit your ideas. We don't use the word theology or heresy that much, but oftentimes we have a tendency to take the things in the Bible that we like and hold on to them, and then the things in the Bible that we don't like, we find a way to rationalize them away. We ignore certain things, and I, I've, I've realized that at some point we have to be willing to go, I'm not gonna tell the Bible what it says, I'm gonna let the Bible tell me what it says. Sometimes I'm quick to go, well, this is what the Bible says, but actually I need to say, look, let the Bible tell me instead of me telling it and not make God in my own image. When I was studying for this message, one of the commentaries I read was was by a guy named David Jackman, and this quote just really, I don't don't know, it, it, it just affected me when I read it. Here's what he said. David Jackman wrote, we can all too easily think we have God sewn up, that we know all about him, We can predict his responses and even condition them. But what we have is not God. It is an idol of our own making, a thinly veiled excuse for worshiping ourselves. And I just wanna make sure in my life that I haven't made myself so big that somehow I determine what God actually looks like when instead I'm willing to make God big in my life and let him work in my life. Look, I'm not being critical of your worship and I'm not challenging you on, on your theology. I'm just asking you, are you sure that you've made yourself bigger than God? And maybe to watch and see and make sure that you haven't made your worship for God actually a way to make an idol of yourself. There, there was a guy in uh, the time of the Reformation. He was an early Italian reformer named Savonarola. And uh, he would watch this elderly woman every day. Of course, this is a time when uh, Catholicism was, was huge, especially in Italy. And he would watch this lady every day and she would make this journey from her home to this statue of the Virgin Mary. And almost without fail, she would go to that statue and there she would worship every day. He watched her do it day in, day out. And he was really impressed. He was impressed with her love for God. Even though he didn't agree with her theology, he was impressed with her devotion. He was impressed with with her kind of spiritual fervor. And he was sharing this with another priest in town and the priest said, oh, he said, Savonarola, things aren't always as they seem. You know that statue? When this woman was in her youth, the artist who made that statue chose her as the model He modeled that statue after her and she's gone to worship there every day, ever since. Somehow, in her own devotion, she was still focused on herself. And I've gotta be careful that my worship must be more about God than about me. It's not about what I can get from him, but it's about who he is. It's not about what he can do for me but about what he wants to do in me. There's a story in John chapter three where 
John the Baptist is being challenged by some people about the fact that Jesus is getting more likes on his Instagram account than John the Baptist is. That Jesus is getting more Facebook followers now than John the Baptist had. The Jesus church is growing bigger than John the Baptist church. And they start to say, John, what are you gonna do about it? Here's what John says, John chapter three, verse 30, knowing who Jesus is, he says, he must become greater and I must become less. That's not just a powerful verse. That's a really good prayer. That as I go through my life, as I look at how I'm leading my family, as I consider the things that are happening around me, when was the last time that I truly said, God, Jesus, would you become greater in my life and help me to become less? My challenge for you is that you make God bigger in your life. Just like the Apostle John wrote to that church, dear children, keep yourselves from idols. The great theologian John Wesley once said this about the idols in his life. He says, as the shadows flee before the sun, so let all my idols vanish at thy presence, Lord. Something about when the sun comes up, when the sun shines, those shadows have a tendency to disappear. And when I'm in the presence of God, it changes my heart and it helps me to identify and eliminate those idols. If you wanna know what the antidote is to idolatry, it's worship. It's making God great in your life that you make God bigger. So how we're gonna wrap up this time together today is uh, I'm gonna invite those of you that are in the room with me to stand, if you would, please. And invite those of you that are watching or listening that you would join us as well. And we're gonna take a couple of moments and we're gonna worship together. And in doing this, our goal is to make God bigger. Just as the sun comes up and dissipates shadows, that worshiping God is gonna allow us to, to see him more clearly to deal with these idols in our lives. And in these next few moments as we worship, there may be an element of your life that you're holding on to with fear that today's the right day to say, God, I put this in your hands and I trust you. It may be in these next few moments you've recognized there's been some things in your life that you've allowed to become bigger than God. They've become a substitute in some ways for who he is. And just to say, God, I'm gonna love you more in this moment. If the Holy Spirit has spoken to your heart about some sin or some place that's requiring your repentance, I challenge you, don't just um, rationalize it right now or push it away and then just say, well, God, I'll deal with this later. There's no better time than right now in this moment than to confess that to Jesus and ask for his forgiveness. In fact, maybe this is a moment when you need to say, Jesus, I've tried to do this on my own. Maybe you need to receive his sacrifice of, of his salvation and his forgiveness in your life today. Maybe today's the moment where you need to say, Jesus, I give you my life. As we sing this song, there's no better time than right now to acknowledge who he is. And as we worship him, can I ask you to be open to what the Holy Spirit might speak to your heart? And would you just make him bigger? Because he's such an awesome God. Lord, we've taken these last few moments to allow your Holy Spirit to look into our hearts and to examine if there are any things that we've allowed to compete with or become a substitute for you. And Lord, our heart is to make you bigger.
So as we sing this song, Lord, whether we're here in this room or somehow we're joining in another way, Lord, as we sing this song together, as we lift our hands, as we let these words come from our mouths, Lord, would you be made bigger in our lives? Would you show us the places where maybe we've allowed some kind of idol to come in? And then would we do the work to keep ourselves from that and to make you bigger because you are such an awesome God. In Jesus' name, amen. You call the sun to rise You lay it down to rest You hold this heart of mine You hold my every Come on, sing with me He's such an awesome God so mighty, so holy, so wonderful. You're such an awesome God, so selfless, so generous, so faithful you are. Thank you, Father. You see. Declare with me, Jesus, the Son 
of God hung on a cross to die but not even death itself Causes me to wonder why would I look for a substitute? And so, God, in this moment, we ask would you search our hearts? Would you show us if there's anything in our lives that we've made bigger than you? And Lord, would you help us to make our prayer that you must become greater, we must become less? Because it's then that you can pour out your blessing in ways that we can't imagine. Because it's then that we'll see life more clearly. It's then that there's an openness for you to be able to pour out grace into our relationships in ways like we've never known. It's then that we'll be able to see lives changed and communities changed and, and, and our world revived. If we'll start by saying, God, we must decrease, you increase. Let us become less. God, you become greater. We thank you that you love us so much, that you're such an awesome God. Would you help us to live with an awareness that we are making you bigger in our world and in our lives. Help us with your special favor and with your wonderful peace. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks so much for being with us. God bless you.